Gresham College presents Avoiding Collateral Damage, Protecting People, Not Just Systems by Professor M. Angela Sasser. Uh, thank you. Um, I, um, I'm a professor of human-centered technology uh, at University College London. And if you talk about the history of the internet, actually something that most of you may not know is that UCL has been on the internet since 1975. It was the 16th site um, on the internet, the first outside Europe. Um, and um, so basically, it's, I come from a department where we are very keen and very interested in protecting the heritage of, of what we have built. Now, I haven't been there quite since 1975, <laughs> but uh, I joined um, in the early 1990s. And uh, to some extent, I really can empathize with, um, with what Ben was saying, because um, I still remember very well when I joined in 1990, basically working on the kind of technologies, basically voice over packet switch networks. So basically, we were already doing Skype with video and, and sort of things in the, in the early 90s. And you know, this is now something that, that's pretty much at everyone's fingers tips and it's very much, I completely agree with Ben, becoming very much part of our lives and our fa fabrics and we can't really sort of like separate of what we're trying to get done on a day-to-day -day basis from the, um, these kind of technologies anymore. So I think there's however one curious aspect that's connected to um, this evening's topic, which where I actually see very little progress at all, um, and that worries me, and I think this is something that has to change. Um, so just to do a little test is, can I um, have, can you put your hand up if you have no problem whatsoever with passwords and security measures that you need to use your technology? Okay, I get like... One, two, three, four, five. Is any of you who've got their hand up at the moment is because you don't use any technology that requires <laughs> possible? All right. Um, so, but, so we can say basically the vast majority um, you know, of you struggle with this. Now, I've basically been working on this since the mid-90s. Um, when I was working on that one wonderful internet technology, um, we collaborated um, with, a, with British Telecom, as it was at the time. Um, and so they knew me as somebody who works um, and looks at the people side of it and tries to figure out if something is difficult to use, you know, why people struggle to understand how to use something correctly. And they called me up and they said, um, could you look at this, this problem that we've, we've got? And, and I said, what is the problem? And um, they said, well, the problem is these stupid users can't remember their passwords. <laughs> and we'd like you to do a study um, to work out why that is. Uh, so um, I basically, I did the study and the answer was very simple bec because you're asking them to do something that is not humanly possible to do. Um, you know, these basically, the employees that I was looking at at the time had between 16 and 64 different passwords, six-digit pins. They had to change them every 30 days. Um, and of course, you know, you can't use like the name of your girlfriend or your dog or whatever. You know, it has to be something that nobody could possibly attribute any meaning to. Now, if you go and speak to a psychologist, they will tell you that human memory isn't constructed that way, right? Um, that basically we can only remember things 
things we use very regularly and that we can deal with meaningful things much better than non-meaningful things and that have you have lots of similar items um, in, in, in your head. They're basically competing with each other and you know, you're, you're just going to have an awful, uh, an awful time. And that was what, happening, what was happening to the employees in the company at the time. And they were um, basically what you could observe as a consequence of this was that, of course, nobody was following the rules, right? And they felt completely justified in doing so because they were being asked to do something that's impossible, right? If somebody asks you to, to comply with a set of rules that it's impossible to comply with, um, you just, you don't do it. You create workarounds, you know, and so the simplest one is you just write the passwords down and stick them, you know, on a poster and stick them on the screen. Um, and in fact, you know, you can still observe this, this one um, quite widely. Um, and, and today, I mean, this is basically continued. It's continued now to the point where I've seen two examples where at the AGM of, of major companies, um, the brochure basically had to be hastily withdrawn and pulped because they asked a photographer to come in to take pictures of happy employees at work and they ended up printing pictures of whiteboards with the main server passwords written on them, <laughs> which were, um, you know, so, it, so, so this is still, still going on. Everybody is still basically doing these kind of workarounds which create what we in, in, in computer security call vulnerabilities. Um, that are, of course, a gift to, <laughs> you know, to anyone who is looking for ways, ways of attacking it. I think what what's also is true, part of the complexity problem that Ben alluded to, is that most users don't actually understand exactly what the, the threats are um, that they're facing. You know, they say, I'm not um, famous, you know, I don't have millions of dollars, why would anyone bother to attack me? And the answer is, you know, they're not necessarily interested in you, they're interested in hijacking your machine, or they're interested in trying to, to, to attack the bank that you're a customer of, or, or the company that you work for, and your machine will do as nicely as an entry point as anyone's, you know, so you don't need to be famous. But what was actually happening in the company at the time, this is sort of like where this, I just noticed as I was putting together my talk, um, this, this um, military vocabulary keeps coming back at us in this space all the time. Right? Um, when, when Anne and I wrote this paper about it, we called it users are not the enemy because what was happening in, the com in this company at the time was that there was a state of war. The, the security department said, you have to do X. The user said, not possible. <laughs> so, you know, we'll basically break the rules and then the security department would threaten more and more sanctions and more punishment for not following the rules. But as a result of it, the, uh, the people working there, basically, they, if you ask them what security was about, they'd say it's just a pain in the neck. It's something they make us do to stop us from getting our work done. Um, nobody actually there thought that security was valuable, you know, that it was something that, that everybody should do and get on board with. And what really worries me is that I think that's, that really hasn't changed very much in the past 15 years. You know, these kind of workarounds um, are very much, but what I've learned over the last 15 years looking at this is that you, this is, you know, this happens all the time and everywhere. At the end of the day, security is not what motivates us. You know, we basically, we don't get out of the bed in the morning thinking like, I want to be really secure today. And what will, me, will make me happy at the end of the day is if I felt, felt really secure. So, um, you know, basically we're trying to get other things done. And if security is difficult, guess what? You know, people will do these kind of workarounds. And 
my concern is that I think the technologists aren't getting it. They still aren't getting it, you know. And if you basically look at the kind of um, cartoons they make, you know, um, this is basically, you know, we have generated all this like encryptions, firewalls, antivirus software, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And in this corner, we have Dave, right? And Dave very clearly is like a slob, fat, and stupid, right? Back to back to there. So, so these, you know, the technology industry is still portraying people as stupid because they're not complying with all the security measures they're being told. Um, but I, I think it's, you know, the, if anybody's being stupid here, it is those technologists in that industry because they have to realize, I mean, and to me, it's, it's, it's a very straightforward thing, that the kind of things you have to ask people to do for security is something that has to be manageable. So you can't create a huge amount of workload and a complex, you know, complex systems and rules that people can't understand if you, if you want them to follow it. To me, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, yes, the internet is very much entwined in our lives. It's a utility. And what I would want to, want to see from computer security is something that is manageable, you know, that is like water. You know, I don't have to constantly do my, my own tests on the water that comes out of my tap, right? And the electricity I get supplied, as long as I don't tamper with it, is safe to use. I'd have to do something really stupid, like stick a fork in the socket in order for it to endanger me. And that is, um, that is what I think, you know, the internet should be. So instead of telling millions of users who frankly don't have a snowball's chance in hell of distinguishing between a genuine antivirus checker and a piece of malware. Um, you know, instead of telling them to download and install the virus checkers, I would like the internet service providers to do this for us, or the mobile phone company, right? They should provide us with something that is safe at the point of use. They have economies of scale. They can get it at a much better price than we can. They have the expertise to check whether it really is an antivirus checker or a piece of malware. Um, finally, I also think is we need processes that are less complicated. If people are encountering a problem, they need to know where to go. You know, where do I report this? I mean, we've only, after lots of, you know, lots of struggle, gotten to the point that we have an e-crime unit where people can report, report these kind of things. Um, so I think basically we need, you know, much simpler, simpler clear rules that people can follow, and if something goes wrong, where they can go, you know, in an age where the government would like to save lots of money um, by everyone transacting with them online, you know, you need to also accommodate all the people who haven't grown up with, um, you know, sort of like, like with the internet in their pocket. I think the final point is also is, is, is we have a very poor understanding at the moment who is actually in charge here and who is in charge of what. And we need to make sort of much clearer, you know, who is the authority and who will tell us when there is a problem and when we should, um, should maybe stop doing certain things or should, who, do, who would you believe? You know, one of the easiest things you can do in, uh, if you are in a conflict is to erode the confidence of the population in a country and start them to tell, you know, that things are going really bad. Um, and that, you know, that your government isn't in control anymore. And I think this is a sort of like we're coming to my one of my final points, what's being overlooked. You know, at the moment, we don't know who to trust, right? You can look at a, web at a website and you think, 
you know, is this really Marks and Spencers or John Lewis, or is this somebody who's trying to just steal my credit card details and pretending? It's really, really hard for the ordinary user to figure this, this out. Um, but we need to be able to trust. You know, one of the things we can learn from economics is that successful societies, economically successful societies, are the ones where there is trust, where we don't have heavy-handed security measures at every stop, you know, that are starting to cost us lots of money and that stifle things such as goodwill and creativity. Um, if you're thinking back about, you know, sort of the last um, sort of like era, who said trust is good, control is better? Can anyone remember that? It was Lenin, actually, who said that. And a lot of control also costs a lot of money, you know. Um, so we need to basically have something that is trustworthy and where, where we can get on, where phishing and social engineering attacks are less likely to succeed. Partly, this is due to, to deregulation, you know, when, when we basically only dealt with one entity, such as British Telecom for our telecommunications and a water company for that, you know, that was much easier than when you've got 15 competitors in each space, each of them have got their own, own ID coming to your door and claiming to be from one of those. You know, that kind of complexity is what I think we haven't learned to manage. So um, our current technology and processes are not currently sufficiently robust against impersonation, and I think that has to change. So my very last slide is I just wanted to point out that very ironically, one of the founding fathers of what we today call computer security, um, it's a guy called Kerkhoffs, he basically built the first system for encrypting transmissions between two. And he wrote six principles for having a properly secured system. And what I think is very ironic if we, if we see that, you know, how current IT security people are struggling to give us something that's manageable and useful, is that three out of his six principles were you must make it work for the people that are involved. So it must be easy to communicate and remember the keys, you know, just put passwords instead there, <laughs> instead of um, uh, the system must be portable and not require more than one person. And finally, regarding the circumstances in which such a system is applied, it must be easy to use and neither require stress of mind nor the knowledge of a long series of rules. And I think that's what we need to get back to if we want to protect the internet cyberspace effectively um, with all the um, limitations that the human, the wetware, as we, uh, as we often say, um, brings to it. Thank you very much. For more information, please visit www.gresham.ac.uk.